0: Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God This afternoon, as uh, is our custom, we will be going through the Heidelberg Catechism, and we'll be focusing on Lord's Day 26, the uh, doctrine of the Word of God as summarized in Lord's Day 26, which can be found on page 540 of your Book of Praise. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28 verse 19. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16 verse 16. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Titus 3 verse 5 and Acts 22 verse 16. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a Cherokee legend in which an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, and ego he continued the other is good he is joy peace love hope serenity humility kindness benevolence empathy generosity truth compassion and faith the same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too the grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his father asked his grandfather which wolf will win his grandfather looked at him and simply said The one you feed. While there is some truth here, this Cherokee parable falls short in one major sense. Unless we are changed from within, we will never truly find victory. But we are not alone in this fight. We have the Holy Spirit on our side, and we have a battle flag to lift our weakened hearts. Whenever we start to feel weak in our faith, we can look to our baptism and be strengthened congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ that bring you the word of God as summarized under the following theme and points by Christ's blood and spirit we are washed clean we will see first of all how we are washed clean secondly how we are washed with Christ's blood and thirdly how we are washed with Christ's spirit kids think back think way way back Do you remember your fourth birthday? How about your third? How about even further back? Do you remember when you were baptized? Chances are you probably don't remember that moment of your life. You're told it was important. You're told that your parents and grandparents, if they came to visit, were proudly sitting in the pew next to your dad and mom. But... Maybe you sometimes think, was my baptism really for me? Or was it for my mom and dad? Does that have meaning for me? Or am I only a member when I make my profession of faith? In Galatians, Paul writes these words, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The washing with water is a visible, outward sign of something that is real and invisible. One, this is a sign which is highlighted in the words of Jesus himself, as we found in Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Faith is the key here. By faith, we understand that the visible, outward washing with water points to a deeper, invisible reality. Because baptism with water demonstrates a faith in the promises of God, that the person being baptized belongs to Jesus Christ. And as long as there is no unbelief, no rejection of the only Savior Jesus in word or in deed, everyone who who is baptized and clings to Christ will be saved. It's a sure sign we are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus and therefore can take hold of what has been promised through baptism, namely the putting on of Christ. As if they put on a pure white robe, God looks at those who are clothed in Christ and says to them, you are clean. It's as if we came home from a particularly cold or rainy day from a Saturday afternoon playing soccer. Or maybe at this time of year it might be after playing hockey for a few hours with friends. Covered in sweat and grime, we walk into the house and are immediately told by our moms, get into the shower. As we stand under the hot jet of water, the sweat gets washed away and we step out clean, as if we were never dirty in the first place. This is what the washing with water symbolizes. The water points to the benefit of the cross as a sign of what has come, and a seal, an assurance that the cross benefits us. With a very real image, God shows us that through the blood and spirit of Christ, all our impurity is washed away. It's like God promised the people of uh, Israel in Ezekiel 36. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. We are cleansed by the Lord, our God. But it gets even better. When we get out of the shower, we'll become dirty again. But with our hearts, God promises something different. He says he will take out our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. His own spirit will be within us, causing us to obey Him joyfully. It's as if the shower we went under was enough for a lifetime. And the dirt of the devil, this world and our own flesh, might try to make us dirty, but will never actually be able to make us dirty. In fact, daily the impurity of our souls gets driven out bit by bit. Sometimes we can see more headway being made in our lives. Sometimes less. But baptism shows us that the cross of Christ will overcome. The confidence which this sign and seal, uh, the confidence of the sign and seal gives us an idea why Ananias said to Saul before he became Paul, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Saul, hearing this, wouldn't have been able to believe it. He wouldn't be able to understand that God would forgive him. He knew exactly what baptism with water consisted of. In the Old Testament and in his time, baptism was used for proselytes, those born outside of the covenant and being uh, interested in becoming Jews to bring them in. It was a sign of the forgiveness of God and acceptance into the covenant. Saul also had a very real picture of what he had done. He had persecuted and killed faithful followers of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ who had confronted him on the road to Damascus. Christ had struck him with blindness and Saul could very well have been simply awaiting the death blow for his crimes. The enormity of what the command to be baptized signified would not have been lost on him. It would have blown him away. The promise and assurance granted by the sacrament was being offered to him at no cost, simply due to the grace of God. The Savior who he scorned would allow this wretched and broken man to become his servant and the men and women Saul had caused to be persecuted would become his brothers and sisters. What an incredible gift. Having reflected on the confidence which baptism gives, does this mean that there is value in the act of baptism on my part? Yes, insofar as it is taking hold by faith of the promises offered. In the case of adults, they are taking hold of the promises for themselves. On the child's part, the parents are taking hold of the promises on their child's behalf. They are showing that this child is indeed a covenant child and is just as much privy to the blessings which are promised as the parents themselves are. But on the other hand, they are, as we saw before, an external, visible display of an internal, invisible reality. As such, the action itself has no value in and of itself. Jesus Christ is its truth, and apart from him, baptism would be nothing. Through Jesus Christ, we can take hold of the promise voiced in First Peter three eighteen that Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ's suffering means that we who are unjust can be clothed in his justice and be seen as righteous before God. Let me approach this from another angle. Peter uses the example of the flood. He says, When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Noah in this example, was saved by boarding the ark so that he, by water, escaped the judgment which was carried out on the unbelieving and unrepentant world. This was not done through his own strength, but by the grace of God who chose him. Baptism corresponds to this, Peter continues. Baptism is to a certain extent, the symbol of how the world was washed clean in the flood and only those believing in God was, were carried through. Thus it is not a symbol of simple removal of filth from the body, Peter says in verse 21, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we stand cleansed before God. We are carried through. And we can be assured that this is for us. Why? Because Jesus Christ has now gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. No power can remove this privilege from us because no power can compete with that of our King, Jesus Christ. So each of us in Christ can be so bold as to cry out in the words of Paul, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not the fear of ISIS. Not the ominous and rising power of Islam in the world. Not the fears instilled by murders or violence that we find in our country. Not if you feel particularly good about your, one, uh, your faith one day, or particularly bad another. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And since this is a reality, we are given the power through the working of the Holy Spirit to begin to cease from sin. This is not an immediate process, but the sign of baptism should be a call, not just at the time of profession of faith, but before and after. Every baptism we witness is a reminder that we have been justified through Christ and that we have his spirit working in us. Let's take hold of this in joy and seize the opportunity to become what we are, living, breathing symbols of the grace of God who demonstrates this delight in our lives and have it overflow in love to those around us. This leads us to our second point, being washed in Christ's blood. So on what basis are we able to become what we are? What is the foundation for such a statement? It is easy to talk about being cleansed through Jesus Christ and being able to stand as righteous before God, but where do we get such ideas from? And how can I know that this is a reality not just for others, but also for me personally? There are many passages in the Bible which deal with this topic. This brings us back to 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he may bring us to God. Even more rich is the passage we find in Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Through the precious blood of Jesus poured out for us on the cross, we have atonement. No other sacrifice would have been enough to wipe out our guilt. The creatures that had their blood spilled in the regular sacrifices of the Old Testament only had power in that their reality was found in Christ. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat symbolized atonement being made for the people as a whole. And elsewhere, we read of blood being sprinkled on the people themselves as a sign of purification. This was necessary because, as we read in Hebrews, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of Christ's blood, there would have been no forgiveness for us. However, His blood was shed. The author of Hebrews cries out joyfully, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He continues in Hebrews 9 verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If the sacrifices themselves needed Christ as their reality to have power, how much more, now that Christ has come and has shed his blood, shall we not find forgiveness in the sight of God? And so the author continues in Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what baptism points to first and foremost, the washing with Christ's blood. Realizing this, brothers and sisters, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our baptism shows that we have someone greater to hope in. It gives us confidence that we have been washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. How often does the letter, of the, the letter to the Hebrews not use the idea of boldness, confidence, and openness? We can approach God with boldness through Christ because though our sins were as scarlet, now they are white as snow. So, what does this mean for us? It's like the old hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood? asks Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ means not only that you know something, but that you have become something. You have become a new person, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone made this possible. Since we have received all this, Christ's sacrifice should be at the center of our lives what all else clings to and what we fix our eyes on. In the desert, after rebelling, the Israelites had to look at the bronze snake to be healed of the snake bites. God said, when he looks at it, he shall live. Do you think they said, I feel like I need to do more? Can you imagine that an Israelite, after hearing that, would simply take a painkiller to dull his senses or to try work out his own cure do you think that he would think you know i've only got a couple more hours left to live i'm gonna party it up while i have time no whatever it took however much of uh, difficulty it would be the israelites would stagger crawl or be carried out so that they could fix their eyes on the elevated serpent And as we read in Numbers 21, And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Likewise, the sacrament is something that we can look to. By its use, God more fully declares and seals to us the promise of the gospel. We can find strength in the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Sometimes there are those who are baptized and then reject God. Such people took their eyes off the prize. They look to themselves for healing Or perhaps they realized what a short time they had on earth and tried to fill it with pleasure to dull the pain of this sin-filled world. Some look to human wisdom and philosophy, claiming it disproves and discredits the God who made them. Some abandon themselves to the temporary high of the throbbing beats, flashing lights, and flowing alcohol of the nightclub. What... All of these have in common is that they try to fill the void within themselves with something other than Jesus Christ. And none of these will satisfy. Do not settle for less. Cling to the crucified one. As those Israelites who did believe and moved to fix their gaze on the bronze snake, abandon all else, throw it to the wind. Let your baptism remind you whatever it takes to fix your eyes on Jesus in faith. Let it be a reminder and a seal and an assurance that the full satisfaction for sins and true healing can be found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. As our great high priest, He has indeed cleared the way for His beloved and assured a place for them in heaven. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. Put on Christ. Look to faith in Him. It can be easy to settle for lesser pleasures, for a momentary high in this world, but nothing compares to the ultimate joy for those who fully rest and trust in their Lord and Savior. And having been washed, we can begin to walk in newness of life. This leads us into our third point being washed with Christ's Spirit. You may have run into someone at one point who claims to be a Christian, but his or her life doesn't really show it. They say the words, they say they believe, but They make no real effort to demonstrate that in their lives that the gospel is truly alive to them. Maybe you are such a person. The argument is, well, you can't see into my heart. Don't judge me. Is this right? Can we now say nothing to each other with regards to our lifestyles? Walking in newness of life has at its essence the idea of rebirth. The Catechism states to be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we may become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. We see this in a more pointed fashion in Titus 3 verse 5. There, the renewing of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the same breath as regeneration. Regeneration is rebirth. As Christians, we put off the old man and we put on the new. We put the old man to death and we are reborn as infants. But what does such rebirth look like? Jesus describes rebirth during an an evening meeting with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying to sound him out, trying to figure out what kind of a man this popular rabbi Jesus is. Jesus tells him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In response to Nicodemus' confusion about this kind of language, Jesus clarifies, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So everyone so is everyone who is born of the spirit. Rebirth and renewal is intimately connected with the work of the spirit. While being washed in the blood refers to our justification, being made right before God, being washed in the spirit Being born again refers to our sanctification, the day-by-day process in which we are being renewed again and again, the day-by-day process in which we are being made holy. Regeneration is not a one-time thing. We're not cured in a flash. Rather, it's a progression. Through Christ, we have been set free from the dominion and slavery of sin, but not the flesh and body of sin. As such, we can readily agree with the Apostle in Romans 7 who cries out, I do not do what I want to do, but what I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And yet also say with him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We struggle, but we are no longer slaves. The final skirmishes in our lives of stubborn resistance still remain, and they can seem overwhelming at times. But the war has been won. One of the most famous passages which speaks about the effects of our rebirth is found in the letter to the Galatians. Galatians 5, the verses 16 to 21, first speaks about the work of the flesh. The old man which does its best to cling to the believer We read, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's obvious, says Paul. You can pick them out from a mile away, these works of the flesh. Look at this list carefully, brothers and sisters. Reflect on this in your life. Don't lightly brush it off. Carelessness and neglect of godliness is an abuse of fatherly goodness. If you hold to these unrepentantly, if you do not turn to the crucified Christ for forgiveness and salvation, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Regardless of how you might feel about your current state, apart from these things, the Holy Spirit makes it quite clear that people who unrepentantly entertain such lifestyles are living in open rebellion to God. So they have no part in the kingdom of heaven. You must strive to put these more and more to death and instead strive to live a holy and blameless life. This is not to say that we won't have moments when we slide back into sin, brothers and sisters. Daily sins of weakness cling to even our best works. But these daily sins, as our confession states in the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 2, These are a constant reason to humble yourselves before God, to flee to the crucified Christ, to put the flesh to death more and more through the spirit of prayer and by holy exercises of godliness, and to long and strive for the goal of perfection until at last, delivered from this body of death, they reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is obvious as well. These things, Paul says, overflow in a life where the Spirit is at work within. When you see these changes of character happening in yourself, know that it is a gracious gift of God. God himself is at work in you, giving you the fruit of love, of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, being acted upon, brothers and sisters, we are called to act. We read, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live with the Spirit, let us also walk with the Spirit. Such is the reality of the life where God is at work. But this is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. God has granted us this growth in our lives in order to give us a joy and a passion to serve Him. The work we see in our lives should stir us up, spur us on, and cause us to strive to please Him even more. God's love in sending His Son to die for us and His love in sending His Holy Spirit to work in our hearts should always be of unsurpassable value to us. Paul, in the third chapter of his letter to Titus, says it beautifully when he writes, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The kindness, mercy, and love of our God and Savior has appeared in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the reviving power of the Holy Spirit. This power is not inferior to the power acquired from the raising uh, from the dead because that's essentially what has been done. We who were dead have been made alive. We were dry and dusty corpses in the graveyard Not a speck of life remained in us. There was no beauty in us to make us pleasing to God. We were just moldering, decaying, wretched, and dead. Yet God, with the love with which he loved his own son, has breathed new life into us to make us his own possession. Think back to the Cherokee story from the beginning. There is a terrible fight going on. The devil, the world, and our own flesh do not stop attacking us. But we do not find our strength in ourselves by feeding the good wolf. Rather, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek our righteousness outside of ourselves. We focus on Jesus Christ as the only ground for our salvation. This is the rich reality which our baptism represents for us. Not just being made right before God and being left on our own. No, we are granted new life in Christ Jesus. We have an awesome, mighty Savior and Lord. And if we turn to Him in faith, He will lift the burden from our shoulders. He will bring new joy into our lives. We don't need to bring anything before him. There is nothing that we could offer. All we need to do is hear and listen to his beautiful words. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen.